Camp, Camp, Camp Radio. Camp Radio. Camp. Welcome to Camp Radio, a podcast production of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Camp Radio, discussing trends and issues that will encourage ministries and churches in their efforts to impact people for Christ. To learn more about TN Baptist Camps, visit us at tnbaptistcamps.org. Now, today's Camp Radio. Thank you for joining us on Camp Radio. My name is Kevin Peerage, and I'll be your host. Ministry can be a very lonely place, and many pastors struggle at times with depression and burnout, but there is hope. Uh, today we have with us Pete Tackett. Uh, Pete is the pastor of Antioch Baptist Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. Pete, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for being, letting me be here. I uh, I listen to this occasionally and uh, as it comes to us, so it's really kind of cool to be here with you and yeah. see how it's done. Okay, great, great. I'm glad someone listens to us. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Pete, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, let me, you know, everybody's got a story, sure. and so what I always say is that that my story is all over the map, but for purposes of today's conversation, I've been a pastor all my life. Mm-hmm. I laughingly say I've never had a real job. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, of course, we all know that's not true. But yeah, right. but in the process, uh, about 13 years ago, I just got into a depression and some anxiety. And really, I always describe it as a hole I couldn't get out of. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I left ministry, mm-hmm. really determined and saying uh, never again. And I, I didn't quit God and didn't quit church. I went to church the next Sunday by the grace of God. Uh, but but my, how our Heavenly Father loves it when we say never because he had other plans for me. But when I left ministry, and I have a great wife and wonderful family, but when I left ministry, uh, really probably a few months after I should have, um, there was just nothing that I could put my hands on to help me. During the six months leading up to my leaving ministry, uh, I reached out to a nationally known ministry that, that helps relocate hurting pastors into a care ministry. They, they had a 13-month waiting list. Reached out to another national ministry that advertises help for pastors, and the two-week program was $10,000, and I didn't have $10,000 lying around. Uh, Lifeway had recently, uh, this was pre-Mark uh, Dance era, I uh, had recently done away with their pastoral care division and a downsizing. Then they brought on Mark, and then later that went away. And so it just became apparent there was no help out there to be found, at least that was readily available. And so we sort of had to figure it out on our own. And by the grace of God, a year and a half later, I was uh, teaching in Africa, and this little dying church uh, called me and said, uh, hey, could you come help us out for a while? We think we're going to close and hand this off to the association or merge with somebody, but could you come help us for a while? I thought, well, that's a, a job offer nobody could refuse. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I always describe it now, 11 years later, as being a, a marriage made in heaven, a broken man and a broken church. And by the grace of God, both have been healed and restored. Now, you just was ordinary pastor. Yep. Uh, and evidently, you've you've done it all, right? You've been a youth pastor and all different, different positions and worked your way up to a very large church. Yeah, education pastor, co-pastor, youth pastor, and then senior pastor. And, uh, and loved it. The people, even when I left the church, and you know, what I've always said about the, the very large churches, it just outkicked my coverage. The church was growing so fast and uh, I didn't have good systems in place for soul care and personal nurture and and uh, just was trying to keep up with it. And I, as I said, I just got in a hole I couldn't get out of. So many pastors are maybe in the same boat and they don't realize what's coming down the road, right? And so just for, for a pure example of you, just... You were just, uh, just God was opening doors. You were just going and just excited about it. Sure. Right. And had no idea what was in front of you. Right. You know? I'd always struggled with seasonal depression. Sure. 
even have a diagnosis of that, but had learned that that's going to set in in December and it's going to be over about the end of February. Uh, but the truth is this year it set in, it was, it was 08 when it set in and, uh, and it just never went away. And uh, my wife saw it long before I did. Uh, and one of the many foolish things that I did was I didn't take my wife's advice. Uh, sometimes when you're depressed and anxious and many pastors that maybe are listening will recognize this, that you don't think as clearly. One of the things that ways it affected me was insomnia. And so imagine being for a year of your life, being uh, like flying home from a foreign country and just having that brain fog uh, and sleep deprived. And so I made a lot of bad decisions and that was one of them. But so what was your, pro- what was your thought process? You, you knew your something was going on. You couldn't sleep well. Or did you think, well, maybe I'm just out of routine. What, what, what was your reasoning why you weren't having some other serious thing going on? I think that was the problem, Kevin. I think I didn't, um, you know, I kept my, my wife kept saying, you need to go to the doctor. You mm-hmm. need to go to the doctor. I've always been a big guy, but my weight had ballooned up because I was getting no exercise, working 18 hours a day, just trying to keep up. And, um, but, but the reality is I don't think I was thinking, I think I was reacting. I think every day had such a to-do list in front of it that I just wasn't taking care of myself. And so I, I, it's interesting. I just wasn't thinking. Do you think that were you, uh, and I'm just trying to figure out what your mindset where it was. And cause you know, I think our pastors are probably thinking the same thing. They're thinking, well, but, but I'm working 18 hours a day. But it, it just, God's just doing these great things. I just need to be doing this. Right. I mean, was that what you were thinking? Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, uh, again, the, the church was just exploding with new people. I loved it. We were influential in the community. Uh, there was just, and, and I, I thought, why would anybody not be happy about this? Why would anybody not love <laughs> to do what I'm doing? Right. And so I even felt bad about feeling bad, which was crazy, wasn't it? But I mean, I got to do the work of God and nobody, you know, many pastors have issues where their church people are pushing them or pulling on them. You know, by the grace of God, that wasn't happening. I felt the pressure of, we had a large mortgage payment. We'd built a lot of building. I felt the pressure of some of that. But at the end of the day, it was just the ongoing grind of every day. I felt like I had gotten on a train that I could never get off of. And because of that, I didn't take those days off. And, uh, and even when I was sitting at home at night, I had my computer in my lap or I had, you know, taking care of things. So what did, what was the point? Can you, if you remember that, what was the point you re, it came to reality? There's well, a problem here. There was, um, I, by the f- end of March, April of 09, I began to be somebody I didn't recognize. I have never in my life been an angry person. I don't have a temper. I don't. I got into a shouting match with a staff member at a staff meeting. It was almost like a TV show. It was like everybody in the room was standing, (laughs) was sitting there with their mouth open and their eyes were wide, and they were going, "You know, uh, who are you? And what did you do with Pete? You know." And then, uh, and then into July, there were some things that happened, uh, and 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 there were some things that needed to be done. And I got to the place. This is really when I knew that I was in over my head was when it began to take me, and this is the phrase that I used with Lori a lot during those days, it takes me all day just to do life. I, it was hard for me to get out of the room to go to work, and it was hard for me. Uh, one of the examples was that I had a wedding with 600 people sitting in the worship center. It's five minutes after the wedding was supposed to start, and I was sitting in my study paralyzed, unable to go out there. And uh, my, my senior staff member comes and says, are you going to do this or not? And I said, I'm trying. He said, do I need to go get somebody else? And, uh, and then um, several other things happened. And I actually had a major meltdown one Wednesday night after a, after a prayer meeting time. And in it, 
really considered a lot of things. And, and I'm not proud of this. Again, I sound like somebody I don't know. Uh, but among other things, and it worked up to I other things, commit, you know, thought about committing suicide. Wow. And I knew I was in trouble. And so um, got pulled over by a policeman who checked me out for things because I was driving erratically. I wasn't drinking. They searched my car. You know, funny thing about that was that I'd had it detailed that day. It didn't have a biscuit crumb in it, but they, yeah, I wasn't worried about that. But uh, but that was when I said, I got to get out of here and I got to get some help. So it sounds like your staff was recognizing this. Oh, yeah. Even so much that I had talked with my executive pastor, and he and I remain friends today. In fact, many years later, uh, five, six years later, he, he said to me, Pastor, I apologize to you. Because what he said to me that day, I said, I said I'm in over my head. I said, I, I, can't, I can't function right now. And he, he looked back at me. And I mean, again, he was an administrator. He wasn't, he wasn't the teaching pastor or, or a counselor. And uh, he said, I, I just don't know what to do to help you. And then many years later, he apologized. He said, I should have I done more to inter- intervene at that point. Even the night that I melted down, we were in Columbia, had a, a death, in, uh, a near death uh, of an elderly lady in Nashville at a hospital. And I got the staff together early that day after I'd had that conversation with the executive pastor. And I said, guys, I just need to be transparent with you. I'm hurting. Mm-hmm. I got to get some rest. And, and I can't do anything else today. I'm going to come do prayer meeting time. I can't do anything else. And then that call came. And I had five pastors. And we talked. I remember I was standing around that front desk saying, who's going to go? And those, most of those guys had responsibilities that night. And knowing that I couldn't deal with it, it became apparent I was the only one that could. And that was when I found myself thinking, man, if I could figure out a way to just die and get out of this, I would do it. Wow. And uh, so that was the that was the week. It was the week of July 4th of 09, which, oh, that's this week. Yes. You know, so what's that? Uh, what's 12 years ago Yeah. Wow. Uh, that that happened. Seems like a different lifetime. So what was the next step? I left the, the church. Um, I, I, I mean, uh, did, did this happen immediately? Did, I guess so. Over a few weeks. Okay. Uh, because again, there were some things that I was doing, and and uh, you can go to PeteTackett.com and watch a forty-five minute video of that story. Uh, but there were some things that I was was doing that when I went and talked to my elders and leaders, you know, they said, "Hey, you know, we're, we're going to stand with you. We don't think you've done anything wrong that would require you leaving ministry, but you need to get some help." Mm-hmm. And so immediately I left the pulpit that week, and then I offered my resignation. They said no, and then middle of August after I had been with some doctors and some counselors and had some deeply honest, hurtful conversations with with our leadership. They accepted my resignation. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I, by that time, I don't know that I thought they were going to. So it was a tough time, but uh, it needed to happen. It really needed to happen. Even dealing with uh, what you're dealing with, trying to work through this, did you feel lonely? Oh, my word. I really did. More than anything else, and of course, you know, one of the things that I, I harp on in this season of my ministry is you have got to have traveling companions. I didn't have any traveling companions. I had colleagues, but but I didn't have any traveling companions. Mm-hmm. And and so the challenge for me was, who do you call? And so remember, I was I was looking for help, couldn't find any help. So I started making a few phone calls, and I found some help in some really strange places. And then. And then, uh, and by that, I mean, uh, people I didn't know that you've never heard of, but there were two or three things that really helped me. Got him, Charlie Grigsby for uh, Shepherd's Haven of Rest Ministries out of Memphis, a former Mid-America guy. Uh, to my discouragement, Charlie and I are both getting older and he's retired now. So there's nobody following through on that these days. Um, and then, a, uh, a place called, uh, Fallen in Grace Ministries down in South Georgia, 
so I made a couple of friends that have remained friends uh, through all these years. And so we're connecting to their ministries and helping them. But anyway, uh, we just started looking for help. I, fa- I found a church. And one of the things I would say to people is if you know a, a hurting pastor, you're a colleague. Because here's what every pastor says. They say, hey, I'm sorry this happened to you, buddy. You know, we, we used to do things in the community together. If you need anything, let me know. Well, first of all, that guy's not going to know what to ask for. So you've got to proactively stay in touch with them. And let me tell you uh, that Rick White, who was then the pastor of the People's Church, was not a close friend, but he was a colleague. Eight days after I resigned at the church where I was serving, about an hour south of him, he called me up one day and he said, hey, Pete, I just heard you resigned. Hmm. And I said, yeah. He said, I don't know what happened and I don't care what happened but you're going to need a place to hang out and heal. He said, I want to invite you to my church. And he said, here's what you can do. He said, you can come sit on the back road, never fill out anything and be incognito. Or if you want something to do, come and we'll put you to work. Whatever you need right now, we'll do it. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in the people's church at that time was what it was called. Huge, long hallway, several thousand people there. And I, and, and I remember walking in that day and Rick and his wife were probably 100 feet, 150 feet from me with a gaggle of people around them. And Rick saw me. And came down that long hallway and embraced me. Somebody, mm. I love you, and I'm praying for you. He probably he has no idea how how much that meant on that day. Because when you're a pastor and you've left the ministry, you have no identity. Especially if you're an 18 hour a day, go win the world at all costs kind of guy. You got no identity. And this guy comes and says, "Man, I, I just love you, and I'm glad you're here." So for a year, we attended the church, and I didn't preach a sermon, didn't teach a lesson, didn't even pray a public prayer. But every Sunday morning, Lori and I would gather and lead a small group of people that prayed for Pastor Rick and that team during the first service, and then we'd attend the second service. Yeah. So how did—let's talk about your wife. I know, I know she saw these warning signs before you did. Yeah. So through this process, I mean, we're, we're talking to pastors right now, but— also, wives are, are, they're very critical in all this, right? Yes. And so what did Lori do? Well, you have to know her to start with. And I know every pastor feels this way, but Lori will never teach a lesson on stage. She'll never play a piano. She'll never be that person. Uh, but it's the most godly, spirit-led, prayerful woman I've ever met. And, uh, and to be honest with you, I'm probably alive and in ministry today because of her prayer life. She never uh, became embittered. See, when you're depressed and anxious, you don't hear what people say. You hear it through your paradigm. So she would say to me, uh, Pete, I, I really think you need to go see a doctor. Well, I have a, a history of family mental illness. And here's what I heard her say. You need to go see a psychiatrist. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, who's going to follow a pastor who's, who's out of his mind? After this thing was over with, she said, I never said psychiatrist. I want you to go see your doctor. I mean, there may be something chemically wrong with you. And as it turns out, when I went to the doctor, it was just like four things that were just huge. So so the depression was going on in July. I mean, it had been going on for nearly a year. By end of September, early October, having seen my family doctor, and I mean, he what a great godly man. He hung with me, and he was a deacon in our church. So I saw him every week. And, uh, and he started addressing four things. And by October, it was like the light switch came on and the fog began to lift. And one day I looked at Lori by November the 15th of that year. I looked at Lori and said, and this was our language. You develop a language and I would, I would talk to her about things are fine and then I fall off a cliff. I mean, I, that's how it would feel. I would literally just fall off a cliff emotionally. And it could be triggered, Kevin, by anything. Like if you called me and my, and my phone said, Kevin Perigen's on the phone. In my foggy head, I was going, oh, God, what have I not done that he needs me to do? That's how I, re- I mean, just little things. Right. But by November, 
middle of November, I looked at Lori one day and said, I don't want to put any pressure on this, but I haven't fallen off the cliff one time this week. And that was that was big. And it, it, it's, it's happened since then. I even had, uh, Kevin, a season coming out of COVID where it happened again for about two weeks. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but it was a tough season during the COVID. Sure. When, when, it was funny because when we finally could start meeting freely again about two and a half months ago, all that pressure was off a little, you know, and, and I kind of fell apart for a few days, but I recognized it. Yeah. And I had a wife that was speaking a language that I could understand, but uh, but she was so critical to it. And uh, and even to this this day, she is, and this is what every pastor's wife should be, she is a ferocious doorkeeper to my days off. She knows that if I take Thursday afternoon, when I finish the sermon until Saturday at about 10 or 11 o'clock, that's my weekend. She knows if I do that, I'm a better pastor. I'm a better husband. I'm a better dad. And by the way, I'm a grandfather, brand wow. new grandfather, awesome. six weeks old. <laughs> and, um, and she knows I'm better at all of those things if she'll protect those days. And so she's, I think to the pastor's wives, if you can help be a gatekeeper, because it's so hard if you're a people pleaser as a, as a pastor, and many of us are, it's so hard to say no. And so maybe you don't have to say no, but you can just say, hey, he'll call you back Saturday. Lori's pretty good about letting me turn my phone off. Church knows if there's a death or an emergency, they can call her phone. But she's pretty good about being the, the doorkeeper. If there's a pastor right now that's listening, has, has uh, listened to your story, and by the way, you know, there you'll uh, at the end we'll talk about where they can find some more resources and be able to hear your full story. But so, what what are some things if they're facing that right now? What do they need to do? Okay, I would, and it's funny because I didn't listen to Lori, and I don't know that I expect them to listen to me. The very first thing I would do is I'd go have an honest conversation with my primary phys- care physician and say I'm depressed. I, I I don't know how I, I'm not diagnosing myself, but I just am having a hard time functioning. I don't know what's going on, and I don't want you to immediately prescribe me drugs. I want you to do some tests, find out if there's anything wrong with me, and tell me if I need to go see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. That was That's one thing. Second thing, and I think these are not first and second. They're just together. I think you need to find a team and, and identify somebody who has loved you and believed in you and who you know that if you told them that you had robbed a bank and killed a clerk, they wouldn't tell anybody about it. You want that guy. And you want to go tell him, and and you're going to give him permission to shepherd you through the process. That's hard for pastors. It's hard for guys. Yes, to do that, isn't it? It is. We we got to get past that. Yeah. I, I know that's easier said than done, but yeah. just to let that barrier down and to be transparent with somebody else. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. You know, and and Kevin, one of the challenges is we feel this pressure to be supermen in front of our people. In the last 12 years, 11 years now as I've served Antioch Church, I've uh, I've learned that much of what's caught, not necessarily what's taught, but much of what's caught is caught out of my vulnerability. Now, you don't want to be an emotional volcano, and you want to be appropriate with people. But when I, when I came to Antioch and I started talking about overcoming depression and getting help, there, there's been a lot of people that have said, hey, nobody's ever given me permission to talk about that in the church. So so it's funny, even when I was in, in Columbia, one of the things, one Sunday morning, these, this happened on one Sunday morning, I had two guys walk out. One of them said, Pastor, I just love how how uh, transparent you are on stage. And um, and then about you know five minutes later, a guy walks out and shakes hands with me. I don't think I'm coming back. You're just too dang transparent for me. <laughs> Can't please everybody. Can't please everybody. But I think, you, I think that we've got to get to the place where we do it. Not just our church, but I, back to what do you do? You get those traveling companions. And in a minute, we're going to give you some resources. But, um, but there are 
lots of people like this. Here, here's the thing. We tend to throw those people away. Mm-hmm. But when you've been through something and figured it out, that's the guy you want to talk to, the guy that's walked the path before you. And so there are a few guys like that out there. They're not easy to find because, to be honest with you, the church is not gracious to those people. If somebody fails, uh, they don't really like to have them around. And they and they and sometimes even the Pharisees of the church will, if they try to do any kind of ministry again, will attack them. So they're all under the radar screen, but they're out there. And so take advantage of those resources is what I would say. So what are some methods maybe? Maybe if you've got some steps, all pastors need to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're experiencing some sort of burnout or depression or whatever, they definitely have to, to try to take some steps to take care of themselves. So, but if you're in a place you're not there yet, but your ministry is going, and uh, possibly, even though you're not looking down the road, you, you could face every, every one of us. No yeah, one's immune to it. Absolutely. What do we do? What do we put in place to keep this from happening? Well, Kevin, there are three or four things that, that I do. And my one of the things that I think is that that disciplines, both of the faith and personal discipline, mm-hmm. is a real guard against depression and anxiety. Uh, routine is good. You know, sometimes we, uh, because, you know, if you get up in the morning, you don't get to go through your routine. It kind of messes up the rest of your day. Well, that happens a lot to a pastor. So one of the things is, and I know this seems like such a simple thing, but but you will never believe how many pastors have said to me, listen, I talk about prayer a whole lot more than I actually pray. And so to have that morning time that you meet with God on a regular basis, and by the way, it doesn't have to be super saint and get up at five o'clock and do it. You're, right. you're paid according to scripture. Your calling is the word, ministry of the word and prayer. So, I, I mean, I do my early morning time in my study, but I consider that church time. And I wake up early, so I go to my study at the church, which is right across the parking lot, and uh, and spend some time in the Word of God and praying that's unrelated to anything I'm preaching or I'm teaching, usually about an hour. Uh, but I include that in the few hours I spend in my study every day. And so I would say that, secondly, I think just having a well-defined time off every week. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have some funerals. You're not going to have some weddings. But this is something I've never heard from another pastor that I think is proprietary to me. But but I think every pastor should define a weekend because everybody else that goes away from their work typically goes, most people, check out sometime Friday afternoon and don't typically have to think about work again until Monday morning. Right. And there's something to be said about those two nights to decompress from all of that. So for me... I don't get two full days, but I usually finish the sermon up and have lunch with my staff around noon on Thursdays, wrap up a few odds and ends kind of thing. And then if I don't have a special event, I'm not thinking about church again until 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. And so that having, here's how we define it at our house. If I don't have to shave, that's my day off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I know that sounds weird, but you don't have to get ready for anything. And so if you can do that, because it takes you a few hours to decompress from everything's happened that week. And so you're not really with your wife and your children until the afternoon and evening and the next morning. So I think every pastor ought to have a well-defined weekend. And then I, I think, as I said earlier, just right now, uh, putting some pl- some things in place, you know, develop your own core. If you're not struggling with depression yet and things are blowing and going, 
find three or four guys that you really like to hang out with and say, listen, once a month, we're going to hang out and we're going to do it right now. This is a, a podcast for another day, but I am really, really sold on Robbie Gallaty's model of men's discipleship. Yeah. Those three to five guys and my, my, all my men do it every week, three to five at a time. One of the great privileges of my life right now is I'm leading a D group of young men and I've, I've led several through the last years and launched them. But one of the great privileges I have is that my 30 year old son is in a discipleship group with me. On, awesome. uh, in fact, I'm going back to lead that group tonight. But Having your cohort, those group of guys, what Frodo called his traveling companions, is just so critical. So I think you put those things in place. And then finally, I and it's, this all sounds so unspiritual the way I'm saying it, just go back and rediscover your hobby. For Lori and I, I realized because we've always hiked. I'm a big guy. People look at me and go, you hike? You know, but I've always hiked. And so during those years leading up to my meltdown, I just didn't take time to be in the outdoors. But now we we just make plans. We camp. We hike. Uh, there's rarely a week goes by that we're not in the mountains somewhere finding a waterfall. You know, so to, whatever that is for you, if it's a... You know, if you grew up in the gamer generation, you like to play video games, you hadn't had time to do it lately, find you some Christian guys and do that with them. You know, whatever it takes. But I think every pastor needs a hobby of some kind. Right. And then uh, and then if it, when you start getting down, you've got some guys to, to talk with. So is it important? I know we're talking about all this, having those, those designated times off, uh, having friends available, people you can trust. What about getting away? Uh, I mean, we talk about this on podcasts uh, pretty often. Is it important for a pastor to get away for a couple of days? Well, we we have such a sweet deal with the the little church that we pastor. We have a church that was 80 people when I got there, and their average age was dead. And so (laughs) I I say that, but I buried 21 of them in the first 14 months. Their average age was dead. Yeah. Uh, And now we have about 357 covenant members, and we expect to see most of them every month. We see about 250 a week. So it's a small church. But from the very beginning, they were willing, knowing my background, they said, look, you just work when you when you can work, and when you need to get away, you get away. And so that, not everybody can do that. But as the church grew, it became a little more difficult. And so one of the, we've done two things. One, uh, we lived in the church parsonage. We sold our house in Nashville, and we didn't know what we were going to do, so we just lived in the church parsonage. We're still there. But about four or five years ago, we bought a house out in the country with a beautiful mountain view. And in that mountain view, we kind of go out there and sit, but we use, we call it our country house. And so typically that weekend that I talk about, we, we go after I finish the sermon and the meeting, we go to our country house and we stay there for a couple of days. Uh, and we, sometimes if we don't have anything, I'll do my work on Saturday, even out there and we'll go into the church on Sunday. And, uh, and so we do that. The other thing we did was we, we picked up a camper and, uh, and we just got, get away. And so I, I think it's, it's pretty critical that we do that. Uh, I know the rhythm of my life. I know that I can go hard for four to six weeks. And so when I've been going really hard and they've it's taken, I've had several weddings, I've had several funerals, and it's taken some days. Mm. I'm not a legalist where I go, you owe me days off. But I just go, okay, I've had my four or five, six weeks. I'm going real hard, so I'm going to take a week. And that's that's a, and you have to be honest with your people to say that's what we're doing. But I, And so I do that. That's, that's how I get away. If I can't get my weekend, when it goes on three or four weeks, and I just finished one of those uh, seasons, and uh, part of the reason I'm camping here this weekend right, is yeah. just getting away. Yeah. Uh, so I would uh, I would say just be very focused on your own rhythms and go, hey, it's time for me to get away from these people because here's the here's the thing. It might be a great place to end that part of the conversation. Um, 
anytime I get to, I've got lots of friends in the church and I want to tell you, I love the people of my church. It's the best place I've ever been. I love them. They love me. Uh, most of them don't know what pastors are supposed to do because they've come to the Lord since I've been there or they've come back to the Lord since I've been there. So they're really good to me. But when you talk with your friends from church, what are you going to talk about? You're going to talk about church. church. Yeah. So I got a friend that's on a trip across country with two couples from his church right now. And I'm going, there's nothing I'd rather do less than that because we're going to talk about church. So I've got this good friend that we've known for many years. And this is the way we make an arrangement to go to dinner. I get a text from him or her that says, let's go out and eat and not talk about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and that's their signal that, hey, we know you need to get away. Let's go out and have dinner and let's not talk about church. That's neat. That it neat is you got friends that you do that with. Well, now let's talk about resources. Uh, there's some out there. Tell us what. Uh, uh, give us, I guess, a link to your website. Yeah, uh, and I'm not great at this self promotion thing, but there's two different things that people listening might need. One of those is uh, if you just need to learn some more about me or my story, there's a thing called PeteTackett.com out there, and it's actually a 12, 10 year old video. And so it looks like a 10-year-old video, but it's me and Lori telling the story, uh, about a 45-minute version of it. And also some resources are on there. It's got some ideas. And even one of the things, the reason I leave it up is because it gets people calling me. I get two or three calls a month from people say, I I looked up Hurting Pastor and I found your website. And so we've done a lot of things with them. But even when a pastor maybe has lost his job in the process like I did, there's even on there a, a, a copy of an old resume of mine from back when I thought I was going to have to look for a job and then God just dumped this one on me. But it worked. I was putting it out and I was getting lots of phone calls from it. And it's a, it's a resume that accounts for that year or two years that you weren't in ministry because it makes people ask questions. And so having a resume that handles that well is important. So there's a resource like that. There's also kind of the process involved. There's so several things at PeteTackett.com. And then uh, Renovate Publishing out of Florida, the National Revitalization Organization, said that they believe one of the pillars of, of uh, revitalization is that churches have to be more purposeful in restoring hurting and broken pastors. And so they, didn't, they said that because of our process at Antioch, because when I came to Antioch, uh, my deal with them was if I stay long term, we're going to help hurting pastors. And so they embraced that. Good. So we've had a total of about 35 pastors in 10 years that either been fired, had quit, had been shamed, had been run out of town. Uh, some of it for cause and some of it for not that we've worked through the restoration process. And so there's a book called Reclaiming uh, by Pete Tackett and Michael Stover. And you can go to Amazon and find that. But there is a thing called reclaimingbook.com. If you go to reclaimingbook.com, there is a list of podcasts that you can listen to that kind of tell some stories that might encourage you. There's also some podcasts about what to do if this happens. There's also a frequently asked questions things. What if I've done this? What if that's happened? Um, so reclaimingbook.com and uh, and petetackett.com. And then... Um, I would encourage you to uh, to touch base with, even though they're not traveling anymore, with the Grigsby's at Shore Ministries, S-H-O-R, stands for Shepherd's Haven of Rest, ministries.com. And, uh, and then, uh, Kevin, I, I don't know that everybody's a candidate for it, but I think one of the best things that Tennessee Baptists are doing right now is the off-the-grid idea where pastors unplug. Because especially if you're wired 
tight and you're a type A and you're going after it, going after it, going after it, the only way you're going to learn to get away is if somebody models it for you. Yeah. So the off the grid thing that you all are doing, I think is a critical piece. And and we're excited about that. That's been, we've had many pastors have been gone through it and there's nothing like we were talking outdoors. There's nothing like going, getting outside away from your cell phones and, uh, it's a totally different atmosphere. It usually takes a couple of days yes. before you break away, but it, it's helpful. And that's why I ask about just getting away in general, just that right. time of breaking away. And I, and I just, again, what is it older preachers used to say? If we don't come apart, we'll come apart. And uh, and Jesus modeled that for us. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, he'd disappear in the early mornings. And they go, hey, we've been looking for you. you go, well, yeah, I know. But, but I got other things I need to do. Right. Well, Pete, I, I really appreciate you coming and sharing your story. This this is great resources for those pastors probably listening right now, that even those who are maybe even kind of reflecting in their life and thinking, you know, I'm experiencing things and I, maybe I've not wanted to admit it. So, But I appreciate you sharing that and giving us the resources. Well, let me uh, add, if I could, if you wanted to just, uh, if, if anybody wants to talk with me, just need a need a traveling companion for a short season, I'd be glad to talk with you. The best thing to do is just go to petetackett.com uh, and, or com and just email me or call me. I think my phone number is still on com, so you can text me or call me. If you're going to call me from a strange uh, area code, text me first and let me know right. who and why you're calling. <laughs> Cause I, like everybody else, I get too many telemarketers. Uh, but we would, uh, Lori and I would love to host you in our country home and let you stay there for a few days and decompress if you wanted to do that. So anything we can do to help, we want to be available. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. For those who are listening to us right now, uh, uh, if you are actually following us or listening to us on uh, uh, iTunes or Spotify, please leave a comment or just follow us, and that will help others to be able to listen to this great resource. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Pete or what we do at TM Baptist Camps, please send us an email at ccinfo at tmbaptist.org. Until next time, I hope that you look for opportunities to start a conversation about Christ with someone you know. Thanks for listening to Camp Radio, a podcast production of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. This and other episodes can be downloaded from tnbaptistcamps.org. The ministries of Carson Springs and Linden Valley are supported through the cooperative program and gifts received through the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. For more information, visit tnbaptistcamps.org.